Good morning again, Calvary. We thank the praise team one more time for leading us this morning with music. So I'm very thankful to uh, be back uh, in the pulpit after a couple weeks. Um, had a great time to just uh, recharge my batteries, but also to pray about uh, what the Lord is leading us to study next. And uh, in my time of study and in my time of prayer, I really do believe that the next thing that we need to cover as a church body is the issue of discipleship. Uh, for me, discipleship is something that we uh, are very familiar with in terms of language, but I don't know if discipleship is something that we practically know how to do, right? If I were to ask you what does discipleship look like, I would uh, assume that depending upon your church background, uh, we may hear a ton of different answers, right? If you were raised in a more traditional church context, uh, discipleship probably looks more like a Sunday school class. If you were involved in a certain campus ministry, discipleship uh, probably looks more like a one-on-one -on -one meeting over coffee, right? But when Jesus uh, was on the earth and uh, as a physical uh, man, uh, he called men to follow him in the process of discipleship, right? He gave a great invitation uh, to live a life where we are able uh, to not just exist uh, as quote-unquote Christians who have a title or as a holy huddle, but when Jesus lived, he invited men and women to follow him. Uh, he promised them. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the issue of discipleship. Uh, today, we want to look at it from a, a biblical perspective, and then the next four Sundays, we will look at it from the four E's of discipleship. I would say the four E's of discipleship are evangelism, uh, helping someone get established, helping somebody be equipped, and then exporting that person for mission. So that's kind of how the, the next five weeks will flow. Uh, today we'll be in Matthew 28, and then next week we will talk, uh, talk specifically about the issue of evangelism. Amen? Turn with me to Matthew 28. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20 this morning. It's a familiar passage, and I think sometimes one of uh, the issues with the familiar passage of the Bible is that we can be so familiar with the passage that we can miss what God has to say to us, right? Um, so we don't want you to throw away your brain or throw away uh, a biblical mindset, but I want you to throw away what you think this passage says or what you think the passage means. And I want us to dig deep together to look at it with fresh eyes because I really do believe that God is calling our church to have a greater emphasis on the issue of discipleship. Matthew 28, verse 16 says, <coughs> excuse me, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, I like how King James says it, even until the end of the age. So this morning, I want to talk about making Christ's last command our first priority. That's something that you've heard before here, and I hope that that's something that we... <coughs> We kind of ingrained in our church. We want the last command of Christ to be the first priority of our church. We pray for us. Father, thank you for 
blessing me with this opportunity uh, to dig deep into your word. Yeah, anytime um, a, a man or a woman has an opportunity to share your word, it's a tremendous privilege. God, help us all to see this as a stewardship opportunity. God, we want to be good stewards of this moment, God. We don't want to just get through the message, God, but we want to receive everything that you have for us. God, I specifically pray this morning that you would speak clearly to us. God, that you would give us a greater vision for what discipleship looks like. God, that you would transform our hearts, God, that we would see that life is not to be lived in our own strength and our own power. God, but you desire to do something in us. God, but also you desire to do something through us. God, I thank you that as we do this, as we study this lesson, God, help us see that if salvation was just about us, God, you would have took us to heaven the moment we were saved. God, but help us to wrestle with God, now that you've saved us, God, now that you've allowed us to enter into a relationship with you, God, help us to wrestle with, God, what does it mean to live that out today? God, what does that mean to fulfill the purpose that you have for us? God, the world we know is searching for purpose. The world is searching for significance. God, help us to see that purpose and significance is found not in our passions or not the things that, quote, unquote, make us happy, God, but purpose and significance is found in our creator. God, help us to see what you have created us to do. And God, help us to forsake all to do that. God, help us, as, as one of the men said yesterday at Men's Fellowship, God, help us to grow to a place where we are obedient to whatever you say. God, help us to be committed enough to do whatever you call us to do. And God, I pray that we would do it for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Uh, recently, I was reading an article that highlighted what seems to be a great disconnect. Now, this great disconnect is not one uh, that is defined by a disconnect between races. Uh, this, this disconnect is not one uh, that is defined between a disconnect between genders or even religions. But the article focused on what, what, people, uh, what many people consider as the divine disconnect between what we experience in Scripture or what we see experienced in Scripture and what we see experienced in our daily lives. Yes, there is a natural disconnect. When we read the Bible, we know that there is a different culture. Uh, there are certainly different clothes. There are certainly different customs. But that is not the difference that I want to talk about today. When we read the Bible, we read the scriptures from Genesis through Revelation, we see something different in the lives of the people who have surrendered to Christ. What we see different is the power of the Holy Spirit. There was power when they preached. There was power when they prayed. There was power when the church came together and was on one accord and was willing to fulfill the mission that God had called them to. No matter if they were in a synagogue or a street corner, no matter if it was a male or a female, a Jew or a Gentile, a rich person or a poor person, when the people of God got together, there was power that we do not experience today. 
when we read the gospel narrative, it is, in, it is impossible to ignore the power that is present when you read the scripture. To see people receive sight. To see people raised from the dead. When we see these things happen, it makes us wonder, are we, are we missing something? It, it, has God changed? Has God different? Has, has God made a, a decision to no longer reveal his power to us? And I really do believe uh, what's different is not necessarily how God has chosen to manifest his power. I do believe that the seminal difference or the, the most significant difference is we have not accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. We have not, we have not accepted a, a, a simple yet profound invitation where Jesus says, follow me. When you look at the text, before there was anybody healed, Jesus says, follow me. Uh, there was a simple invitation. It was a simple and a simplistic call. Jesus says, follow me. Before there was anything extraordinary that happened, Jesus says, you got to leave what you're doing. You got to leave what you think is best. You got to leave what you think is comfortable. Jesus says, you got to give that up. And he says, you must follow me. I love it because it is, a, it, is a, it is a challenging truth when I look at my life and I look at the life of the disciples and I see that they were really willing to leave homes and careers and mother and father for the sake of the gospel. They were willing to say, Lord, what you are offering me is so much better than what I'm currently experiencing that I am willing to forsake all to follow you. When you look at the scriptures, when you look at what the disciples were able to accomplish, when you look at uh, Peter preaching and thousands of people uh, come to know Christ, before that happened, he was willing to respond to a very, very simple invitation. And that very simple invitation was, follow me. Before he walked on water, Jesus says, follow me. Before someone was healed in his shadow, Jesus simply said, follow me passage that I read this morning is called or often referred to as uh, the Great Commission and it is the call of every believer to make disciples just so we're on the same page the word disciple is a it, it, the definition is someone who adheres to the teaching of another it is a follower or a learner it refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else when Jesus says, follow me, it is an invitation to love like he loves. It is an invitation to serve like he served. It is an invitation to pray like he prayed. It is an a invitation to teach what he taught. One of my favorite um, passages in all the scripture that kind of sums up discipleship is 2 Timothy 2. 2. It simply says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men or women who will be able to teach others also. The call of discipleship is very simple. God says, I want you to take what I have given you and I want you to entrust that in someone who will be able to entrust it to someone else. Very simple. As God has given you a word, as God has allowed you to experience maturity, you now have the responsibility to invest that in someone who will be able to invest it in someone else. We must understand 
that when we, when we read Matthew 28, the Great Commission is not an option to consider. It is a command to obey. When you look at the Great Commission, it is so important for us because we must realize that the Great Commission is as much a commandment as thou shalt not kill. It is, much, it is as much a commandment as thou shalt not steal. Uh, to, to make disciples is as much of a commandment as you should not lay with another man's wife. Like, the, like the, the call to make disciples, the call for you to take your life and invest your life in someone else is so significant that God put, places that at the same level of authority as not killing somebody, as not stealing, and as not breaking the marriage covenant. It's that important to God. It's been said that there are, there are two days, or the, the two most important days in your life. Number one is the day that you were born again, and then secondly, the second, well, the second most important day in your life is when you realize why. The first day is important because the day that you place your faith in Christ is the day that you move from death to life. On that first day, we surrender our lives to Jesus. Uh, we move from death to life. We place our faith and our trust in him, and he places his spirit inside of us. The first day is important because it allows you to actually live the life that God has called you to do. But secondly, the second day is important because the second day gives you a reason why we are now to live. It reminds us that Christ came so that you and I can have a relationship with God that lasts forever. But he left us here to be ministers of reconciliation, to live our lives in such a way where we are introducing others to Christ, where we are extending the invitation to follow Jesus with other people who are far from God. I, I, I love th this reality because when you look at the, the invitation to make disciples, it challenges the fact that life can easily become about you. Life can be uh, lived simply to go to work and then to go home and to watch TV and to, to, to do things that are insignificant. We must recognize that if God left us here, he left us here for a purpose. He left us here to accomplish something. And the reason why, uh, why he has left us here is answered in the issue of discipleship. And God giving us a great commission, God gives us an opportunity to live a life that is guided by purpose. It gives us an opportunity to have a life that is marked by spiritual direction. In doing so, Christ reveals to us that what, we, what, that, makes, that what makes our life significant is not by what we acquire or what we accomplish. What makes my life significant is that God is pleased with my life. And God is most pleased when he's glorified in me and I'm helping others ultimately glorify him. As we begin this new series, I believe that this is essentially one of the most important series that we will preach or we will hear because this is an issue of, is your life going to have any significance to it? Should you hear me? If you just live your life 
and you're a good citizen and you feed the poor and you don't cheat on your spouse and you, you know, you vote in every election and you, you know, keep your lawn maintained and you don't have any junk cars in front of your house and you, uh, you know, you're a good person. If all that, if, if your life only accomplishes that, I would say your life has ultimately failed. Hear me now. I'm not talking about you giving a certain amount of money. I'm not talking about a certain amount of number of people who come to our church. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm asking you, is your life being lived in such a way where you are leaving a legacy of faith, where you're saying, I want to invest in others so that other people can have a dynamic and growing relationship with Jesus. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and usually uh, when, I, when I talk about significance and purpose, there's a, there's a YouTube video of Tom Brady, um, quarterback for the Patriots, on it. Uh, 60 Minutes did a video, or did an interview with him a couple years ago, and um, pr- profound interview. Um, at the time, he had just signed a new contract. He had just won another Super Bowl. Um, he had just married, um, yeah, y'all know who she is. <laughs> they just married the most beautiful woman in the world. And, and the guy asked him, he says, you know, Tom, how do you feel? And Tom says, he wakes up every day and he says, I wake up every morning just thinking, God, there's got to be more to life than this. One of the most successful, you may not like him, one of the most successful quarterbacks ever. They say he married the most beautiful woman alive. And he has more money than he could ever spend, wakes up every day saying, God, there's got to be more to life than this. Which which lets us know that significance and purpose in life is not about your career. It's not about that. Significance and purpose in life is not about you being married. Like marriage is not the penultimate goal for your life. That is not uh, God's blessing for your life to, to mean that once you become married, everything's great. That's not it for you. That means that just because you have a certain amount of money in the bank, that does not give you significance. The scriptures are reminding us that if we're going to live a life that matters, that's significant, we got to do things God's way. I, I want to I preach this hard because God did not leave you here just so that you can punch a clock. Like God did not leave you here just so that you can live for a long weekend or a short vacation. The, the life that, that Christ has for us involves investing in others so that our lives are not wasted. And when you look at it, it, it is a reminder that God desires for you to be intentional in investing your life in other people for the purpose of glorifying his name. That's why the Great Commission is so important. God's command to make disciples is significant. I love that when you look at the cross, when when Jesus ascended into heaven, he ascended by himself because there was the, he he ascended into heaven. And he says it is finished because the work of atonement was complete. His work on the cross was complete. On the cross, he says it is finished, but he does not say I am finished. Jesus leaves his leaves his disciples behind because he wanted them to accomplish something for his glory. I I personally love uh, reflecting on our relationship with Jesus because salvation delivers us from sin. 
Salvation removes the penalty of sin. It allows us to have a right relationship with God. But here's the truth. A relationship with God also delivers you from a meaningless and empty and wasted life. God has more for you than just having a certain amount of money in the bank. God has more for you than just being able to put um, a certain picture on Instagram. God has more for you than just having a certain number of letters behind your name. What God has for you is a life that can be lived in such a way where faith and discipleship is the focus of it so that God's glory will grow across the earth. I want you to go with me quickly back to Genesis chapter number one. I think it's important for us to see this. It's important for us to see and understand that the issue of discipleship or the invitation of discipleship is not something that happened in Matthew. Well, not something that began in Matthew, I should say. Matthew, I mean, Genesis chapter number 1, verse 27, simply says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves. In the text, we see that God created man and woman in his own image and God says, I want you to multiply my image. I want you to be an image bearer. I want you to subdue the earth. I want the entire earth to be filled with my image. First, we got to understand is we were created to multiply God's image, but secondly, we were born again to multiply spiritually. It's important for us to see this because if we don't catch the vision of discipleship, we will not leave a legacy of faith that will outlast our years. Now, now I know anytime we preach like this or we have a series like this, the, the thoughts are quickly, preacher, I'm not gifted like you, bro. I'm not built for all that talking from the stage. I'm not built, I'm not built like Camille. I can't go to, 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 to reach an unreached people group. I, I'm, not, I'm not built to knock door to door. Preacher, I'm not, I'm not in a position to maybe write a large check. I'm, I'm not in a position to, to, to stand up on stage and sing like Robert. Here's the truth. <clears throat> when you think about it, God allows all of us to participate in kingdom work because God has gifted all of us in such a way that we can make disciples. Everybody can't preach, everybody can't pastor, everybody can't sing, uh, everybody can't build something, but everyone can take what they have been given and make a commitment to invest it in someone else who does not have it. When you think about it, the idea of making disciples or raising up followers who will one day help other followers follow Jesus sounds like a pie-in-the-sky idea. It sounds like something that, you know what, preach man, this just really can't happen. Like, this is 2018. Like, that may sound good for your campus ministry. That may sound good for, like, people, like, in different countries and different places. Like, like this cannot happen. Like, God does not and cannot use me that way. 
And I want to I want to say I want everybody look at me. I want to say something to everybody in this room. God can use you. Like God does not just want to use Thomas Ellis. Like God does God is not waiting on Athens, Georgia to hear Thomas Ellis preach. Like God is not waiting on Calvary Bible Church to save the city of Athens. Like that is foolish. But here's what God is waiting on. God is waiting on you to rearrange your life in such a way where you are making intentional investments in others so that other people can come to know Jesus. That is something that we all need to wrap our minds around. That is something for the single college student or to the, the retiree. It spans the whole room. doesn't matter your gender. doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter your socioeconomics. God desires for every single person. Let, let, let's be real now. If Jesus says, like, like before he left, he says, make disciples. If Jesus is saying that discipleship is that important, then we need to understand that pleasing God, we need to understand that, that whether or not we are pleasing God, we must consider whether or not we are making a greater commitment to discipleship. Now, here's the other side of that. I can't make a commitment to, to, to discipleship to the place where I'm neglecting my family. I can't just, you know, I can't call Kirby tomorrow and say, hey, bro, I can't show up tomorrow because I'm, I'm making, well, actually I could because my job is to, let's, let's say I work for Georgia Power. <laughs> let's, let's say I work for Georgia Power. I couldn't call, or Jackson DMC, I couldn't call my direct supervisor and say, hey, bro, not making it today, making these disciples, bro. We can't do that. But here's what we can do. We can't intentionally pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom, to ask the Lord to give us direction, to ask the Lord to show us how he is calling us personally to make a commitment to discipleship. Um, I am definitely uh, someone who has a, uh, I have a plan A, B, C, and D. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm thinking through every potential um, wrong move, right move. And like I've already figured out like 10 different scenarios before I start something, right? When you think I'm about, uh oh, when you think about the issue, <laughs> when you think about the issue of discipleship, series, series is part of our sermon today. But when you think about the issue of discipleship and God's plan to reach the world, like there is no plan B. Like, like when, when God says he has a desire for every tribe, every tongue, every nation to be around the throne, worshiping him, God is not waiting for some great preacher to be raised up so that you can bring your friends to hear them preach. God is not waiting for you to bring all of your unsaved, unbelieving, unchurched friends to Calvary so that they can come and be a part of our church. I want you to do that, though, because I want our church to grow. But God isn't waiting for that. But what God wants to see is Brian Feline say, you know what? Here's where I've been planted. I'm going to ask the Lord to give me somebody to invest in. That means Jim McCretton says, you know what? I'm an accountant, but I'm going to ask the Lord to give me somebody to invest in. That means my sisters who are in, in vet school are saying, I'm going to ask. The, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop being a vet. I'm not going to stop being a doctor. I'm not going to stop being a police officer. I'm not going to stop being a lawyer. I'm not going to stop building houses, but I'm going to ask the Lord, 
while I'm going and while I'm living, how can I make a commitment to investing in others spiritually? It's 12.07. I'm not cutting the sermon short, but I'm going to skip a couple verses. Uh, this week, I want you to read Genesis 22, verses 16 through 17. That's God's promise to Abraham to multiply him. I want you to read Exodus 32, verses 13 through 14. Exodus 32, verses 13 and 14. God, that's another promise to multiply. I want you to read Jeremiah 33, verse 22. It's a promise to David for multiplication. I want you to read uh, Mark chapter number 4, verse 20. It is an issue of multiplication. You should hear me on this. If you leave here, thinking that Thomas Settles preached a sermon this morning on increasing numbers, you have missed the entire sermon. If you think that what I'm talking about right now is about numerical growth, that is not what I'm talking about. If you look at the, if you look from Genesis through Revelation, the issue is God has a desire to raise up laborers. God has a desire to raise up people who are willing to make spiritual investments. You see it in the life of Moses and Joshua. You see it with Elijah and Elisha. You see it with Jesus and the 12. You see it with Barnabas and Paul. You see it with Paul and Timothy. Like, this is not something new. This is not something that I'm, like, coming up with, like, Man, T. Settles has found like a secret to the Bible kind of thing. But this is something that we are ignoring because this is hard. This is something that's going to cause you to wrestle. Like, it's amazing to me. Fernando and I work together. Fernando uh, serves as a uh, player development guy for UGA. And, like, he calls me probably twice a week just frustrated because he's having to deal with knuckleheads all the time. (laughs) But... But, but, but what he's doing in terms of player development from, a, from a, a, a physical, unspiritual standpoint is what God has called us to do from a spiritual standpoint. God has called us to be so invested in people's lives that we are helping them develop spiritually. Like, like are, we, are, we, are we getting this? Are we understanding, like, this is not something that's like a, a program of the church. This is not something that's like um, new and cutting edge. This is something that God's called us to do. And I got to confess, as I look at the life of our church, I have not done a good job in bringing this before our attention and allowing us to see, like, this is what God desires. Like, this is what God has called us to because this is what is ultimately pleasing the Lord. We don't have to wait for a, a ministry professional to make an impact. We don't have to wait on somebody who has a title or somebody who has uh, degrees. When you see it, we need to understand exactly what God's called us to do. Thank God we're in the age of technology. Somebody just texted me that we need the scriptures again. So Genesis 22, <laughs> verses 16 through 17. Exodus 32. 
verses 13 through 14, Jeremiah 33, verse 22, and Mark chapter number 4, verse number 20. This is sad. It's 12-11, and I haven't even gotten into my intro for Matthew 28 yet. <laughs> All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just walk away from this because, like, we're going to be here another 30 minutes if I don't. When you look at it, when you look at the, the Great Commission, right, Jesus, he has already gone to the cross. Um, I, I love verse Matthew 28, verse number 10, because... Jesus could have flustered the disciples. He could have uh, he could have went off on them. But before he before he leaves again, he affirms them. He calls them brothers. He builds them up because he understood that we are part of a family. Then in chapter number twenty eight, he says, in, in chapter twenty eight, verse number eighteen, he begins to share this this truth, this reality that he has a plan for our lives that's so much better than our own plan. Jesus essentially says he has all authority. He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. When Jesus says, when Jesus uses this statement, all authority, I got to do this because I, I don't want to be um, accused of not dealing with the text. When Jesus says all authority, he uses a word, uh, exousia, which is the word for authority. Now, here's the truth. Jesus not only has the power to make the command, but Jesus also had the authority to make the command. When you think about it, in life, sometimes we have the power to do something. My wife, uh, she loves uh, to put this little stick in front of the uh, in front of the front door, and I always laugh at it because I'm glad she's not here. It, if I'm trying to get into the house, that little stick is not going to keep me from getting into the house. I have the power to kick the door in, right? But I don't have the authority to kick the door if I'm breaking into somebody's house. The, 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 the most amazing thing about Jesus and the command is not only did Jesus have the power to make the command, Jesus also has the authority to make the command. Jesus says, I, all authority has been given to me. But then secondly, he says, he has a desire for all nations that everyone would have a relationship with God. Jesus reminds us that he is not slack nor slow concerning his promise, but desiring all people to come into a relationship with him. Jesus also says, I, I have all authority. I want you to go to all nations, but he says, I want you to share all my teachings. He says, I don't want you to pick and choose what you share. I want you to share the full counsel of God. I want you to share even that stuff that's in the Bible that we wish was not there because that is a part of trusting God's plan. And lastly, he says, I'm always going to be with you. He promises that he will not just be around us, but Jesus promises this, his disciples that he will be indwelling their lives. I'll close with this, and I'm done. There is a really big difference between God being around versus God indwelling, right? Uh, because God is I'm not present, that means he's always around. He's always available to us, right? But when you become a Christian, the Bible tells us that he indwells us, meaning that God places his spirit inside of us to reside in us, but also to empower us. 
when Jesus says, I'm always with you, he's saying that everything that you need to be successful, everything that you need to make disciples, I'm going to equip you to do it. When Jesus says, you got to go out to make disciples, he's not challenging you to do this in your own strength, uh, to make it happen, to kick the door in. Jesus is promising us that he will give us everything that we need to be successful spiritually. I want to I wanna close just with three, three, three questions. I'm going to have to redo this sermon next week. Um, but if we think about the issue of discipleship, Dan, y'all can come on back up. To make a commitment to making disciples, the first thing we got to wrestle with is do we have a high view of God's authority? Like, does God have the ultimate authority in my life? And when God has the ultimate authority, what he says has to be considered. There's certain things that you can say about me and my house that doesn't matter because you have no authority in my home, right? Just like I can't go to Bob's house and tell him what to do in his house. I can't go to Sullivan's house to tell him what to do in his house. But here's the thing. God is the owner of all. He's the creator. He has authority to tell us what to do. And we need to wrestle with what does discipleship look like in our lives. But secondly, to fulfill the Great Commission, we also got to have a high view and a high concern for people. Like people, even those folks on your job, in your neighborhood, or even in your family, who you cannot stand, who you want to get rid of, those are people who Christ came to die for. Those are people who Christ desires to have a relationship with. So if God can leave heaven, and if God can die on a cross for their sins, if God can really extend grace to them, how much more should you and I be willing to extend grace and love to people? P part of this discipleship process is not uh, you picking somebody uh, who's going to just be a blessing to you, somebody who's going to write you a note of thanksgiving, somebody who's going to tell you how wonderful you are. When we do discipleship, when we invest in people's lives, sometimes the Lord allows us to deal with some really tough people. Thankfully, well, I I'd be lying if I said that, but preferably, the majority of your disciples will not be a burden. But here's the truth. If you are a burden to the Lord and God is patient with you, how much more can you be patient with others when they're a burden? One, one of my, um, this, this past week I was, uh, I was online and there was a meme uh, with LeBron James and um, JR. And with LeBron like, look, pointing at him like, what are you doing, bro? And one of my pastor's friends, he said, this is a visual representation of how God is frustrated with me. Now, theologically, it wasn't correct because God doesn't look at you like that. But it was a reminder that, like, I make mistakes all the time, and God is consistently willing to give me grace. And if God consistently gives me grace, how can I give grace to others? And lastly, and I'm done. To fulfill the Great Commission, we got to have a high view of God's presence. When we think about it, and I, and I, and I wanted to press the beginning a little bit with the miracles and the signs and the wonders, because here's the truth. I believe God can do all those things that he desires to do. 
I believe God can raise people from the dead. I believe God can restore sight to the blind. I believe God can do it all. If he chooses to do it, if he chooses to work in that way, I 100% believe he can do it. The question is, do I understand that he's with me? Do I understand that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, that I have nothing to fear because if God be for us, then who can be against us? I hope you guys can tell I'm super excited about this series, and next week we're going to continue, and I'll kind of clean this sermon up a little bit, and we'll focus on the issue of discipleship. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. God, as we um, continue to take steps of faith as a church, I pray that you would give us all a compelling vision for what you are calling us to do. God, I thank you for those men in my life, God, who are willing to invest in me, who are willing to share the scriptures with me, who are willing to teach me how to study the Bible, who who taught me how to pray, who taught me how to share my faith. God, I pray that you would raise up a group of laborers in our church who will be willing to do that for others, who will be willing to sacrifice personal time and personal privilege for the sake of investing in others. God, I thank you for praise team to get ready to sing. I just ask that you would continue to bless and continue to guide and direct us as long as you really can. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.